And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything's potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am not joined by the kid, the god, the legend, because he is conquering Europe. So instead, I have the other great Celtics reporter from The Athletic, Jared Weiss. And Jared, I think the most important question I have for you, who's going to be more surprised? Jay King, when he enters Europe? For the first time, this is the first time he's ever left. I think a wow, continent. first time. Or is the country of Europe going to be more surprised when they encounter the kid for the first time? I, I, it seems very on on brand for the kid that we would misappropriate Europe as a country instead of a continent, just straight out the bat. Of course, I like that. He's walking into a land he doesn't know. He just he, he was a uh, he was sending a group chat a, a bunch of photos from the Acropolis. And, eating dinner and stuff like that while we're all there just grinding away at Celtics <laughs> mini camp. I mean, he is, he's clearly enjoying the life out there. He, he looks like a natural Greek. That's for sure. Yeah. And I don't think the rest of the continent is, uh, is necessarily ready for him. Um, <laughs> but he'll be back soon. Uh, in the, in the meantime, we, uh, we, we got ourselves a season underway. We had media day and let me tell you, I've, I've been to some of these events in the past, you know, I, uh, Normally, there are times for fun, maybe maybe a whimsical question here or there. Uh, this one didn't strike me as the most whimsical-filled day ever. And the biggest takeaway I got from it was that the Boston Celtics players were kind of just as blindsided about the Ime Udoka news as uh, the general population. Um, but you were there. What, what, like, what was it like kind of having all the different players answer a, a similar question? And what was your take from like, their responses? I mean, no whimsy whatsoever. Like, very, very disappointing day, obviously. Uh, we we barely even got to talk about how much muscle mass that people have tacked on or lost. Yeah, no, no the best season. shape, no best shape of their career. I think Jalen had a best shape of my life in there. Um, Al at least talked about his shape, but yeah, I mean, this was this. I think what was weird about it was you could see a lot of the players subtly expressing some frustration of. Why are we in the dark? Like, why at the very least are we as like the main people working for Ime Odoka not getting some explanation? And they, I think a few of them made it clear they understood why this was happening, but I don't think it made it less frustrating necessarily. And it, it's like everybody can move on and do their jobs to a degree. But when you're, when you're an NBA player, if you're not able to do your job 100%, it shows and a lot of people get really mad and a lot of money is on the line. So there's this incredible pressure. And so they're they're in this unique position here where it's like they can I think everybody else can kind of take their time to a certain degree to process everything that's going on. They don't really have the luxury of doing that. The first game of the preseason is less than a week away. 
which I, I didn't even realize until this morning how pseudo was. Like the the opening of training camp is really short, and they got a new coach now that's running things. It's not like they're the only team in the league with a new coach, and at least they the new coach is someone that already knows everything. So at least they're avoiding those major hurdles of like new coaches to come in. And it's like, we're doing these drills differently. You're playing this role differently. You know, Missoula was pretty adamant day one. And as well at first practice that he's not really shaking things up. He's going to, he's going to implement some changes at some point, but he already is similar to Udoka in a lot of the ways that he kind of operates in a lot of the ways that he looks at things. And he already knows everything that Udoka was doing. And what was interesting was, probably more so on Monday than on then or more so on Tuesday's practice and a media day. A lot of guys were just kind of like talking about email. Uh, and, you know, when someone gets uh, out, literally thrown out of the organization or suspended from the organization for a year, you know, what, what seems like is a, a half firing at this point, you don't really hear people talking about that person like they're present. It kind of, they kind of treat it like Voldemort and, you know, like today uh, or Tuesday, Missoula was talking about email and how I do things differently and and smart I media day was talking about how I still love email and all that kind of stuff. So it is weird how he has a presence, but also like straight up isn't there. And I hope that's like a healthier way of dealing with it rather than just acting like he didn't exist. And this this wasn't a, a wild surprise that like no one really uh, was prepared for. It's going to be very, very interesting because the thing that struck me about last year's Celtics, it felt like, especially in the kind of like final three months of the season, it felt like they had a lot of respect for Ime and they had a lot of good vibes and good chemistry and we're heading into this year with a lot of expectations. And they said all the right things during the media day, like, you know, we believe in Joe, Jason Tatum's like, we can get back to the finals. Everyone in this locker room believes that. Uh, and it's just like how much... Is this really going to affect them on a day-to-day basis? Is this a built-in excuse? Is this actually like something that they can rally behind? It's it's very difficult to uh, figure out how it's going to affect the team. But it, it's that's an interesting person. Like, what were the comment? What like what were they mentioning today? Just email uh, talking about uh, when when he mentioned him in this, these casual Tuesday uh, after practice conversations. I'm sorry, I lost you, man. Can you, can you say that again? You broke up for a sec. I guess questions like the, you you said they bro, uh, uh, mentioned him today Tuesday after practice. So you're just talking about like what he would have thought, what he, like is, how they just brought him up casually as if he was still uh, in the building. That's kind of an interesting um, thing for me to hear. Yeah, like, like it was Joe was asked what's the different like differences between you and Ime, and he's like, oh, well, Ime is more quiet. I'm more of a walk around kind of guy, and I think what it was is that Missoula wasn't talking about like uh it wasn't talking about it like we need to forget Ime and we need to forget him and you know he was using his name comfortably because it makes sense i mean they they liked each other it's not like there's some sort of like ugly you know it's not like it's like some sort of fissure within that part of the locker room itself um but i I think it was that Missoula was talking about it like he's picking up from where Udoka left off in the way that you would think a like a like a caretaker coach would do, like the way like Luke Walton was doing it when Steve Kerr was there. But obviously, this isn't just simply like a this isn't like a a period what's it called short term caretaker situation. This is a interim, you know, pro- high, probably more probable than not taking over for the coach permanently situation. So the fact that it seems like they're all kind of talking about it, like they're just kind of picking up where Doka left it off as opposed to starting their thing anew. I, I feel like it's not like it's shocking. It just, it feels weird compared to any other coaching change I've ever been around. 
Yeah, but he's like Missoula is still the interim coach, and so it kind of makes sense. And with the comments about how, like Marcus Smart's comments about how, like he still really likes Ime, I think it might be weird if they were just like, let's completely put this person uh, behind For us sure. and and For act sure. like he's not there. So I just think there's like some. Uh, it's just uh, more pragmatic to be like this is a situation that's actually happening, and we can't ignore it. Now, Marcus Smart did uh, step in the trash a little bit by saying nobody died. <laughs> Um, I don't think there's any ill intent there and I don't think he meant it like as it came off, but like that was the headline quote coming off of that. I just think a lot of guys sometimes are just, uh, just say some things and we, as they said, they don't know what happened, but in all fairness to Marcus, he is, uh, right. Nobody did die that I am aware of. <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, if someone did, then obviously this is a different situation, but I think he probably would have been fired if that was the case. Um, I mean, I, I think I would take that as one Marcus Smart has had a lot of people die in his life. And so I think that's his perspective when people are trying to act like, is this some sort of massive critical emergency in which you guys are completely distraught and are depressed and need to be institutionalized to deal with the amount of angst you're going through? I think he's kind of saying like, it isn't like that. And don't baby us and and act like we're going to fall apart and crumble as, as adults because our coach is suddenly gone, even if we're pissed off about it. Um, And also I just think that smart is, really pissed off that Udoka's gone and it's not about it's not about necessarily like what happened but the fact that they just took him away and they couldn't tell him what happens and I'm sure they told I before what I've heard they they went to the players and said we unfortunately can't tell you anything for legal reasons um the players as good as our sources are the player sources are a little bit better than ours so and they also were around behind closed doors to see some of the stuff that was going on so it's not like it's not like the the stuff that's been reported is something that they had absolutely no idea was going on. Like they they probably knew to a degree what was going on, um, at least as far as like the general relationship and that uh, relationship or potentially relationships from all this speculation out there. But it seems like it's just one relationship at this point. But so like they 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 have a pretty good sense of what's going on. But I think as much as they can figure out what's going on from their sources when the team itself isn't telling them what's up, like that's going to, that's going to create a trust issue, obviously. And they understand why it's happening, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that it's going to, it's going to create some fissure with the organization. Yeah. And it's, it's now it's kind of Joe Missoula's a uh, mess to try and clean up. Um, <laughs> he's going to do it driving a minivan. I think that was a big, big piece of news that came out of the, first that's the practice. biggest piece of news so far this week, honestly. Uh, I think it's that and Luke Cornett starting with the ones. I'll give you a choice, uh, a real Sophie's choice of what you want to do, deal with, uh, talk about first, minivan or the emergence of Luke Cornett. Uh, Boston I, I feel like that's a natural segue to start a minivan to go to Luke Cornett's uh, potentially being this. And also, we don't know what position he's starting at. He could be the starting point guard. I mean, there was some footage of him handling the rock during the offseason. This you know, Brad might made sure everyone saw that crossover from Luke's, uh, Luke Cornett. <laughs> I mean, my favorite fact of the offseason is Brad Brad Stevens has one like on his Twitter account, and it's an August tweet of Luke Cornett showing off them handles. So, I mean, maybe maybe Brad has orchestrated all of this and told Rob to get the surgery just so he can finally get Luke starting at center. Uh, and maybe maybe Luke just needed the right guys around him to turn into an NBA star. Who knows? But I mean, I Luke's a great interview, so I hope he sticks around just for that sake. And also, he's a stretch five, and they need as much stretch five as they can get. Uh, but I don't think Luke is going to be starting the games. It uh, like they the idea of him starting would be that you are able to uh, keep Grant Williams coming off the bench and 
that way you get him with the second unit that you can balance your second units the way you want to. But like Luke, unless Luke is going to play dramatically better than he was playing before, like Luke wasn't even <laughs> able to get unless he's before. a wildly different player than he was in the whole rest of his career. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, Luke Luke Cornett's had some moments in his career where you could see them starting him. Like a lot of teams will start a center who doesn't even really play that much the rest of the game just because it keeps the rotation balanced. I would be surprised if they went that way, especially because Grant Williams is like he's gotten good enough that you could definitely start him and he would be like a solid starter. So, hey, maybe Luke's way better. But if Luke is where he was before, I, I could definitely see him being in the rotation. But starting him just seems a little wild. It feels like it's not a symbol like, oh, this is our opening day lineup, like go get the tip against Embiid, Luke, but it's more of a Rob Williams is out. We're going to need some sort of production from a backup center position, and the first person who's going to get a chance to kind of earn those minutes is Luke Cornett. Um, I mean, with, you know, there, with the extensive history of Brad Stevens liking that tweet, it feels like the, the organization has some belief <laughs> in his ability, but like... I know Jay and I have talked about this all summer, uh, especially after the the Gallo injury. Is like, do they need to bring in another guy, or is Luke Cornett a, a, enough of a, a kind of a bridge piece to when Robert Williams can come back from his injury? Like, do do you think Luke Cornett can give them twelve minutes a game off the bench, or do you think they kind of need more than that? Uh, uh, I'm just talking about the regular season at this point. Like, they, they yeah. clearly need someone to step up there, and I. I like to believe in Luke Cornett, but I don't know if that's just me being wildly uh, optimistic. No, I mean, I, I like the possibility of Cornett getting regular minutes and he finds a rhythm with the shot and he becomes a, you know, he becomes a serviceable two-way player because the one thing he has that not a lot of guys can replicate is he's got that range on on defense. Like he is long and he moves just fluidly enough that you can have him play the five with the way that Rob is playing it. And he can, he can fill that role. Um, you know, like <laughs> theoretically, that's the word I'm talking yes. about. You can theoretically, <laughs> fill that role, right? So, I mean, what do you have? You seen enough from him in the past that you would like to give him a shot? Because I mean, Udoka, there were a lot of there were a lot of times when like Tice was just getting killed out there, and I thought they were going to go to Cornet, and it said they just pivoted to going super small. So Udoka clearly was not looking to go to Cornet, but also it was the playoffs. So maybe it's just like screw it, I'm not going to do this in the playoffs. I think. It's like, do you switch your defense around with Luke Cornett in there? Like, I feel like their defense was like, all right, we're going to switch everything and try and Tice might sometimes get burned. They did make some adjustments. It wasn't like they were switching Tice out onto everything. And Tice, I just feel like, moves his feet a lot better. I just don't want Luke Cornett really switched out on a lot of people, despite him, like, moving pretty fluidly. But I just don't think they're like, the the ask is that much. I don't think, like, I think we're going to get a lot of Jason Tatum, uh, playing the four. And, oh yeah. And so just because of the, given the roster distribution, there's just so many more talented guards on this roster. So I don't think Luke Cornett's going to need to play more than 12 minutes a game. Like I said, like I think Al Horford, if he's in the best shape of his life, as he claims, if he's going to be playing back to backs, as he claimed uh, on media day, uh, I think Luke Cornett can give you um, something. And if it doesn't work out, I think you can really just go small and use Grant Williams lineup. So I think he's the first viable option. I'd like to see him work out. So you don't have to go like, I don't know, turn to Cobb Gale or Noah Bonley, who I think uh, are less likely of being success, uh, successful there. But I don't, I don't know at this point, I don't know what else they have to, they like, they have to try him out because I don't know what else to do other than just completely 
just move to Grant Williams being a, a, the backup uh, five, which I just don't think is uh, the most sustainable option for them. Yeah, I mean, he could probably do it to a degree. I was going through a list of like who in the East could Grant not guard. And it's like, there's not a lot of guys like Jared Allen is a bad matchup for him. Um, Mo Bamba is not an ideal matchup for him, but he at least knows Mo pretty well. Joel Embiid's a tricky one. It's like Embiid obviously has a height against him, but Grant has the strength to at least push back in the post. And no one so, can guard Joel Embiid, like, except for <laughs> I mean, like Al, Al Aaron Baines. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Alison, well, so I, I think Cornette has to play because you just you can't be starting the season playing Horford 34 minutes a night. And Grant, since Gallo is out and Rob is out, like Grant's probably going to be playing in the low 30s, at least, I'd imagine. So and then you also just don't want Tatum getting a ton of minutes at the four and having to bang with guys. So you want to you want to keep I mean, depending on the matchup, obviously, but you want to keep Tatum at the three as much as you can to a degree. So I just feel like you have to get another center in that rotation just to make sure that Horford isn't gassing himself too early. Another thing that I thought was interesting about media day was Malcolm Brogdon saying the Pacers basically gave him a choice of where to go. And he chose the Boston Celtics. I did not know that, but I think one of my big questions heading into the season is how is Malcolm Brogdon going to fit in with this Celtics lineup He's been a starter in the past. Now he's decidedly coming off the bench. Um, clearly, he knew that going in. He was not surprised to learn that information like Christian Wood down in Dallas. But <laughs> uh, I think that's like very important for his mentality and how he kind of mixes in. Um, I don't know. What do you what did you what do you expect to see from Malcolm Brogdon? And how do you like it feels like bringing him in off the bench? It's just a commitment to be a much small, like go much smaller this year. Like they have much more talented guards. They have this issue with uh, centers. It feels like they're going to be a smaller team. But how do you think Brogdon fits in? Is he a guy who's like uh, the immediate primary ball handler when Tatum's on the bench? Uh, is he more of a, a spot up guy in the uh, uh, in the corner? What do you think Brogdon's role is going to be uh, to kind of start this year? Well. Thanks for teaming me up to promote my uh, my new article. That's a one on one with Malcolm Brogdon that just hey! come out, came out on Tuesday. Hey, so it's not even out yet, so he hasn't seen it. But uh, he addressed that. And actually, let me find that exact quote that I can. This is journalism, people. This, this is, is journalism. journalism. In the flesh. Um, why can't I find the quote? He said, "Oh my God, this is terrible journalism." Now. I'm going to have a mix. I'll definitely bring the ball down a lot, but I'm going to play off the ball a lot too. So I'm going to have to be ready to shoot both types of shots, like pull up versus spot up. So he said, it'll be a mix of how he played in Milwaukee and Indy. The main thing was that he he doesn't know exactly what Joe's going to do with him yet. He had a, like a pretty clear understanding for what Udoka wanted out of him. And he's presuming it's going to be pretty close to the same under Joe. So I think that he's generally going to be playing point and white will be off ball. Um, but I, I think it's going to be similar to smart where like, you know, smart brings it down a lot. He might run that first pick and roll action. He's getting off of it earlier in the play than like a lot of other point guards. And so I think Brogdon's going to be in a similar spot. Uh, but you know, what makes Brogdon good is, or I think what works for Brogdon not having to need to play point guard is he wants to take more spot up shots. Like he talked about in the story about how he shoots way better, uh, spotting up than he does off the dribble. Like last year, he shot 22% off the dribble. Like that's as pretty much as bad as it gets. That's not great. Uh, <laughs> that's it's a insane. Concerning and, number. 
exactly. And so last year he was he was hurt. He downplayed the injuries. I don't know how you can downplay the injuries when you look at the numbers. But the year before that, when he was pretty healthy, he shot like forty four and a half percent on spot ups, then like thirty six and a half percent on pull ups. So it's like those are the pull up number isn't that good, but it's not terrible for for that kind of shot. But obviously forty four percent from three on spot ups that's that's elite right there. So I think he wants more of that in the shot diet as people on Twitter that all my friends make fun of will call it. Um so hopefully that diet's nice and healthy, lots of fiber, lots of spot ups. That's what works for him. Speaking of healthy diets, Jason Tatum is focusing on his. I don't really have more to say about that, but that seems like a good choice. Good for him. No more just piling on an entire bag of shredded cheese onto uh, terrible yeah. looking tacos. Just less less emo's pizza per week, I'm guessing. St. Louis pizza is gross, but I'm not going to have Jason uh, learn that I think about that. Um, what do you think about just them going smaller in general? Like, I, I think a lot of their like success last year, they found this too big lineup that worked. And it was Rob Williams playing this weird center field while Al Horford took the biggest guy uh, on the team. Obviously, with Rob being hurt, oh, you know, eight to 12 weeks instead of the four to six weeks that was initially Whoa, announced. Nice surprise. A uh, nice little, nice little uh, surprise there, and a fun week of news for Boston Celtics fans. Like they're going to be a much smaller team. Do you think that changes their kind of approach on the defensive end? Just because, like, I would say at least until Christmas, or at least until Rob Williams comes back, they can't go to that double big lineup that was so successful for them last year. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I was hearing before training camp was starting a few weeks ago that they weren't really going to change anything up with the defense. That it was mostly going to be the offense. I guess, I mean, the weird thing is, so, you know, we, we know, I've, I'm sure everyone listening to the show has heard how the defense works in general. It's like, basically, you're switching most perimeter stuff. A team that runs pick and roll, the Celtics tended to have their power forward, which was like Horford or Grant usually be up on the pick and roll. And they would, they would, instead of doing like a deep drop where they're just sinking all the way back into the paint, they would generally get up onto the screen. And then you have the center kind of playing zone on the back line. That was Rob's job. So without Rob, Horford is still really good at that. Cornette theoretically could be able to do that center role. But generally, you don't really have that back line guy that makes you more willing to play that kind of style. So it makes me think that maybe they are going to switch one through five more than they actually did last year. And I mean, they switched one through five a lot last year, and they, it was the most in the league, but they didn't do it like 100% of the time, like I think a lot of people think. So I mean, do you think that they would just do it pretty much the entire time when Cornette's not out there? It feels like the the like the logical solution there, um, because they just don't have this double big like center, and so I don't know. Brogdon said that he also thinks like him and Smart can be the best defensive uh, pair like guard in the league. I do think like they have the talent talented players with Brogdon, with White, with Grant, just kind of all athletes who can switch through everything and really like if you're going to do that, just really increase the ball pressure. Uh, and you, to use a Brad Stevens phrase, really get into the ball. Um, but I do think it's going to be kind of change the the dynamic and, and it's going to be an adjustment for them. Um, which is interesting because like they, like what, there was no reason to change what they were uh, going to do. Uh, you know, they had the amazing end of their season last year and then this Rob Williams injury comes and it's like, do you change the whole kind of person persona of your team? Or do you just like kind of try to build in habits with Luke Cornette maybe, and so you can just plug Rob Williams back in. How much are they focused on just like winning? Uh, I mean, obviously they're you're you're want to win as many games as possible, but I feel like the usually the first twenty games of a of an NBA season, you're you're trying to establish what you run, how you do things, what your defense is, 
And are they trying to establish that uh, for a post or for a post Rob Williams recovery world, or are they just kind of make an adjustment for like what the circumstances are now? I mean, you gotta like you're getting Rob back in two to three months, right? So it's not like he's out for the season, like with Gallo. So. I think they probably just make a small tweak, but generally do their thing. Cause I mean, that's what they did last year, right? Like when, when the scheme wasn't working is they didn't know how to run it yet. They just kept doing it until they didn't suck at it. So I think that's probably what Joe does. It's just that Joe's in a weird spot because if, if, if he doesn't if, like, if they lose early on that, like this could get ugly quickly. Oh yeah. If, if, if they lose early on and it's cause he's sticking to what they do and he's not showing that he can figure he can solve the problem. Then, like the players could certainly lose faith and then whether it's they're calling for you to come back or they want something else or they may, you know, maybe they bring in a veteran coach. I know Frank Vogel's name has been out there. Um, maybe they bring that guy in. Then the team like wants that guy to take over. It's like, who knows? So I, I think that, I mean, I guess the good thing for Missoula is Missoula is pretty lauded for his like scheme stuff and scouting opponents and stuff like that. So you would assume that that stuff is kind of his strength there. So I, I think that, it's not broken yet, so don't try to fix it and give it some time. But it's like he definitely needs to have a like a, a plan B for how the defense works. If not having Rob out there means that they can't really sustain it on a, a nightly basis. I think the thing that's very interesting for Missoula and something that I think Ime did incredibly well in his first season was kind of holding players accountable for when their effort wasn't there or weren't they weren't executing defense. I feel like a story from last year is like the team was really struggling and he did like a three hour film session with 70 clips for each player and just ridiculed them, uh, which is something that I think someone of like Ime stature can do. Can Joe Missoula, a guy who's literally it's, well, I don't know where his office is, but I don't know if it's going to say interim head coach on his nameplate, but like everyone knows the kind of situation there. Is he going to be able to be similarly effective in kind of holding players accountable. Is he going to be like willing to do that, knowing that he was just kind of thrust into this role? A thing that's interesting to me is that he was the only coach that was like there before Ime. And so Ime brought in a lot of his guys from Portland and none of them uh, kind of were named to be the head coach. Uh, I don't know how the hierarchy of the coaching staff worked before uh, this kind of whole Ime situation, but it feels like there's like a core group of Ime guys. And then there it was Joe Missoula rampant speculation, but that feels like it creates a weird, <laughs> weird dynamic. Uh, that's just me from an out- outsider's perspective. Like, I don't know what yeah. Ime's guys are like thinking about heading into the season right now. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, what, what's good for Joe is that like Joe at least is the only other guy there that was a legit head coaching candidate this off season. So it's not like they just, it's not like they just completely picked him out of nowhere, but it definitely is notable that they picked the one non ema guy to be the head coach. Uh, but I mean, it makes sense. Like Joe was a summer league coach a couple years ago and then seemed to graduate out of that. And they gave it to uh, Sullivan. And Joe is the one that's kind of known for being uh, like a two way coach. Like he's known for being like the guy that scout that really gets the scouts for both sides of the ball um, is great at that kind of stuff is less of like a specialist. And so I think all those things probably worked in his favor of getting the nomination, but yeah, it at least, it at least helps you would, you would imagine it helps at least maintain the sovereignty of the coaching staff in, in case Ime wanted to continue to be involved. 
uh, I don't know if that was a bad that would be a bad thing. I mean, Ime is a really good coach, so I don't know what the Celtics' obligation is for that. Because Brad, when he was asked about it at that first press conference, he wasn't like we told Ime don't talk to anybody anymore. He was like he, he straight up said like Ime has his relationships and is going to do what he's going to do. So. I you know I don't know I don't know like I I haven't ever asked Joe Mazzula how much do you love Ime Odoka but like I mean, everything he's ever said about Udoka to me has always been really really positive so uh, it, it would also be dumb of him to talk to the media and talk about how how much he hates his coach but <laughs> pretty but no I think even when I talked to him off the record it was all really positive so I think everybody there is really fond of Ime regardless of whatever it is exactly happens and Joe is. I mean, I think Joe's just a good fit for the job because he has so many similarities to Ime, and he's like acknowledged that. So, and, and he can he can do this job and be himself without really significantly changing anything that Udoka was doing. Okay, well, we're going to wrap up uh, on this topic. It wouldn't be an off-season podcast if we didn't engage in some wildly reckless trade speculation. Old fan, or no, old friend? Oh, he was a friend of mine, I would say. Boss Man 99, Bay Crowder, uh, is reportedly <laughs> out uh, in Phoenix. And all the people, all the reports out there from uh, the Athletic Zone, Sham Sharania, say list the Celtics as a possible destination. I don't know, necessarily understand how that would happen given his $10 million uh, price tag for this season. Explain to me how that works. Who would they have to give up if they wanted to bring in uh, Jay Crowder? And uh, I guess would it would it be worth it? Would he would he really be an addition to this uh, this Celtics roster? I don't know if he's exactly the kind of player they need. They probably need someone who's a little bit bigger. He's a three. He could play the four, I guess. So he he could work. Um, I mean, the only way you get him is you trade for him and a better player for Derek White. Or, or a bigger trade around Marcus Smart, uh, or you trade like Grant Williams for someone else that's good and young and Crowder, or you find a way to add salary to Gallinari and give them a draft pick. So those are pretty much all your options. I don't know if Phoenix wants Gallinari on his on a player option at 35 or whatever it is coming off of an ACL tear. I don't I don't know if anybody really wants that. So that that's the tricky part, but they don't have a trade exception I think to take in Crowder. And if they take in Crowder on top of their all, their salary structure as it is, it's going to cost them like 40 million dollars in tax. I, I don't think that's going to be worth it. So I I I really see it either as they don't want to they don't want to uh, extend Grant Williams because they think it's going to cost them too much money so they'd rather get a really good young player which is like how what would they even pull off there yeah, I, I don't really know how this works to be honest with you I, I don't see a way for it to work maybe there's a three-way deal that they could work out it felt like the list of teams that were interested in Crowder were just all the teams that he played for originally it was like <laughs> yeah the, the heat the Cavs are getting to it uh Maybe the Mavericks, and it's just, I don't know, it's just like a, a bizarre list. I don't know how, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for the Celtics. As much as I'm a fan of Jay Crowder, uh, Bossman99, typing everything in all caps, I just don't think it makes sense for the Celtics. Um, but, you know, I'm glad I'm not uh, out on a limb there. Uh, but we'll see, who knows? The past two weeks have been a whole bunch of crazy pills. New stories happening left and right. Jared, I appreciate you joining me, filling in for uh, Jay as he terrorizes the entire country of Europe. Uh, I have one last question for you. Luke Cornett described himself as phlegmatic uh, earlier today. First question, 
Can you define the word phlegmatic? Sure. It's uh, someone that is of the essence of phleg. That is correct. Second question for you. Is the word phlegmatic potable? I mean, anything is potable. Anything is potable! (laughs) Having an unemotional and subtly calm disposition. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.